welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on January 30th, Lord's Day Service. words to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask for a special measure of your grace this morning. And we ask that you would use the preaching of your word to fill us with your spirit, that we may be led by your spirit in such a way that it would be evident that we are the children of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first sentence of this story, we read, this is verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Boats are interesting. And stories about boats are interesting. A boat is an unusual place. It's a place of safety from the danger of the water. But the boat is a fragile realm of safety. It's a fragile realm of order floating on top of a realm of disorder. A boat is a small, fragile environment within a larger, hostile environment. And when you look at the Bible, there's only a small number of boat stories in all of the Bible. And so before we focus our attention on the Mark 6 boat story, I want you to see the themes that come out of the two main boat stories in the Old Testament. I'm going to give a hat tip here to Alastair Roberts for helping me connect some of these dots. But there are two main boat stories in the Old Testament. You're familiar with both, I assume. The first is the story of Noah's Ark, and the second is the story of Jonah. The story of Noah's ark is a big boat story. Noah and his family live together on the boat while the earth is flooded. The ark is the only place on earth that humans can avoid the flood. The boat is the only inhabitable place for humans. The story of the flood highlights the fragility of our world and its exposure to the threat of overwhelming divine judgment when we fill this world with sin and violence. Noah is not a solitary hero who fashions a vessel to escape the wrath of the gods. Rather, he is a man whom God rescues. 
He's a man whom God rescues, along with his wife and his children. When the ark lands on Mount Ararat, it is the pattern in the seed for a new world. But that world, as Noah learns, is fragile and vulnerable to forces of chaos utterly beyond human control. Both the ark and the flood teach us of our absolute dependence on the divine and sovereign grace of God. Without the flood story in the Bible, we might look upon our world and trick ourselves. Without the flood story, we might look upon the world and trick ourselves into thinking that this world is a restful and quiet place. Without the flood story, we might focus attention on the stable ground, on the gentle rains, on the fertile earth, on the cool breeze, on the meandering rivers, on the changing seasons. We would look at this world and we might think that this is a calm and restful place. But when we remember the flood, we remember that we live in a fragile environment where the terrifying forces of chaos that lie just beneath the surface are held at bay by nothing other than the goodness of God. The second great boat story in the Old Testament is found in the book of Jonah. That story makes clear that the sovereignty of Yahweh extends over the sea as much as the dry land. Jonah, as you recall, runs from Yahweh. Jonah's flight from Yahweh places the pagan sailors on his boat in peril. Jonah is forced to take an interest in the well-being of the pagans and foreigners on the boat even as he runs from God's command to preach to the foreigners at Nineveh. When the sailors discover that Jonah is the source of their trouble, they hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceases from its raging. The scene on the boat with Jonah is about the relationship between the people of God and the pagan nations. The pagan nations who receive the spillover of either the blessing or the judgment of Israel. In the story of Jonah, there's a regional conflict brewing with Assyria. Jonah refuses to take the word of God to Nineveh because he doesn't want to see Nineveh converted. He doesn't want to see Assyria converted. The story of Jonah is a prophecy saying that just as Jonah is thrown into the heart of the sea for his disobedience, so Israel will be flooded by Gentile nations. Jonah being thrown into the sea is a picture of the exile that comes for Israel after their disobedience. Yet even as Jonah flees from his calling, the Lord rescues him from the sea by appointing a great fish. And so in the Old Testament, we have these two boat stories. We have the story of Noah and the flood, and we have the story of Jonah. And when you reflect on the two great boat stories of the Old Testament, you find a commonality. The story of Noah in the flood highlights the fragility of our world because of the threat of divine judgment that comes through nature when we fill our world with sin and violence. And even as the flood destroys God's people, or at least threatens to destroy God's people and all of the earth, we must learn to trust God's providence to trust God's goodness of providing an ark by which we may escape God's grace. The story of Jonah 
highlights the fragility of our world because of the threat of divine judgment that comes through the surrounding nations when we disobey the Lord. And even as the nations threaten to swallow up God's people like the fish swallowed Jonah, we must see that the Lord is a God of boundless compassion, not just for Israel, but also for the nations. And so we see this commonality in the story of Noah and the story of Jonah. We see these stories giving us the threat of divine judgment. In Noah's story, that threat of divine judgment comes through nature. In Jonah's story, that threat of divine judgment comes through the surrounding nations. And when you look at those two stories, you see the providential rule of God. You see that the providential rule of God is over nature, and the providential rule of God is over the rise and fall of empires. And when you look at those two stories, you also see the mercy of God. You see the mercy of God extended on an impartial basis, extended to Noah's family, but also extended even to Nineveh. In those stories, under the umbrella of divine providence, nature and nations can be used as divine judgment against his people. In those two stories, we learn that under the umbrella of divine providence, God's mercy waits for those who trust him in the midst of a terrifying sea. And so when you come to the New Testament and you also start reading about boat stories, you have these two Old Testament boat stories that are living in your memory. And when you come to the New Testament, you see that the first disciples Jesus calls are fishermen. I'm talking about Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 20, that immediately they left their father in the boat and followed him. Then in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, we see that Jesus is teaching the people from a boat. And then in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, there's another boat story. We preached on it several months ago. That's the story where Jesus is on the boat with the disciples. And you'll remember, Jesus falls asleep just like Jonah had fallen asleep on the boat. And the disciples roused Jesus to action, just like Jonah was roused to action. Now, Jesus is not thrown overboard like Jonah, but Jesus, like Jonah, is the one who calms the storm, albeit in a very different way. And then there's the boat story in today's text, Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 50. Six. The boat story in today's text is the one where Jesus walks on the water. And the story goes like this. After the feeding of the 5,000, everyone is gone, and Jesus puts the disciples on a boat to return to Bethsaida. Jesus then climbs a hill for a time of prayer alone. Jesus' prayer is interrupted because from the hill, he sees the boat below on the lake making no headway because of the wind. And so in the dark of the night, Jesus goes to them. Jesus walks on the lake. The disciples see him and cry out in terror, verses 49 and 50. And at that point here, I want us to stop just for a moment and, and make a side point. And I think you guys can, you can handle this. So we're going we're gonna to stop for a moment and come over here to the side and just make a side point. It's not the main point. It's the side point. And here's the side point that I can't help but point out in this story. And the point is that we cannot say, as so is commonly said, that people 2,000 years ago only believed in miracles because they didn't know the laws of nature, because they didn't have the scientific revolution, because they didn't have Isaac Newton. 
The reason we can't believe that is because look at verse 49 and 50. It says, When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. You see, it's often said that people thousands of years ago believed in miracles because they didn't understand science. They didn't have the scientific revolution. They didn't understand the laws of nature. But this story shows that to be nonsense. The disciples think the only explanation for Jesus walking on water is what? Oh, that must be a ghost. In other words, the disciples know enough about physics and gravity for that. They would not be frightened unless they had known something about the laws of nature. They would not have been frightened unless they had known that a man walking on water was an exception to those laws of nature. If someone has no conception of the regular order of nature, then they won't be able to notice departures from that order and be frightened, as it says in verses 49 and 50. So that's a side point. And so we're going to come back over here now to the main point. And we're going to rejoin the story here. And in this story, in the dark of the night, Jesus goes to them, walking on the lake in verse 48. And the disciples see him and they cry out in terror. And this cry of fear brings Jesus onto the boat. And in verse 51, he calms the wind. The disciples, it seems, had forgotten the miracle of multiplying the loaves. They had forgotten, apparently, that Jesus had calmed one storm already. Their reaction at the end of this story is complete amazement, seemingly because they don't understand. They still don't understand even though the powers of the kingdom of God had been clearly shown to them. And so you look at the story and you ask, what's the point? And not just what's the point of this one boat story in Mark chapter 6, but what's the point of all of the boat stories in Scripture? And to understand the point, you must consider the difference between the land and the sea. The land and the sea are opposites. The land is safe ground, a place where your feet are firmly planted. The sea, however, is much different. The sea is dangerous. The sea is capable of swallowing you up into the darkness and hopelessness of the waves. And then there's the boat. The boat is the mediator between the land and the sea. Back in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus taught from the boat. There, the boat is a safe place to sit. There, the boat functions as an extension of the land. Then in Mark chapter 4, verses 37 and 38, when Jesus calms the storm, the sea nearly overwhelms the boat, filling it with water and filling the disciples with fear. And in the Mark 6 story, the boat story from today, see what verse 48 says. It says, they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And so the disciples struggle to cross the sea, even with the aid of a boat. But notice Jesus, still, verse 48, says, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Now that last phrase, he meant to pass by them, that's a curious addition to the story. We're going to circle back to that in a moment. But notice, the disciples struggled across the sea even with the aid of a boat. But Jesus does not even need a boat to cross the sea. For us mere humans, the sea is a barrier between lands. 
For Jesus, the sea is a bridge between land such that the sea itself becomes like the land. Back in the Mark 4 story, the disciples are endangered by the sea, and by his word, Jesus calms the sea. Here in the Mark 6 story, the disciples make no headway across the sea in verse 48. And Jesus walks across the sea as if on dry land. For us, in our sin, in our rebellion, as the world rebelled in the days of Noah, the sea represents a place of divine judgment. For us, in our sin, in our disobedience, as Jonah disobeyed the Lord, the sea represents a place of divine judgment. For us, in our sin, in our hardened unbelief, as we see described of the disciples here in this story, the sea is a place where Jesus manifests his power and overcomes hard hearts. And so we look at this boat story, we look at all the boat stories, and we ask, what's the point? And the point is this. The point is that when Jesus is on the scene, it doesn't matter how tall the waves are. It doesn't matter what sea monster is in the water. When Jesus is on the scene, the people of faith can overcome the chaos of the sea and the chaos of the waves. The people of God can overcome the disorder of even the mightiest waves. And interestingly, in the Old Testament, we also read of God walking on the water. In Job chapter 9, verses 8 through 11, we have Job's account of God who, listen to this, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Now that expression, trampled the waves of the sea in the Greek Old Testament, is the exact same expression that we find here in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, when it says Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Jesus came to them trampling the waves of the sea. It's an expression that's translated here as walking on the sea. You see, in the Old Testament, God, too, tramples the waves of the sea. In the Old Testament, God, too, is seen walking on the water. So look at it again. When you see now, it's the exact same expression. The author, Mark, here clearly wants to draw our attention to the fact that God has walked on water before and what happened then. Okay, so let's listen to it. It's, it's Job chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. So it talks about God who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond the number. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on and I do not perceive him. Notice that in the Old Testament when God walks on the water, notice that in Job when God walks on the water, he passes by Job and Job does not see or perceive God. And then remember back in chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it includes this interesting note, how Jesus came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Just as God had passed by Job, Jesus meant to pass by them. And also remember in Mount Sinai, Exodus 33, we see something similar. Obviously, they're, they're not on water in Mount Sinai. They're on the mountain. If you didn't catch that, they're on the mount, not the water. But we see the same phrase again that God, remember, passes by Moses, covering Moses so that he can't see God's face. You see, in the Old Testament, God passes by Job 
in such a way that Job can't see God's face. In the Old Testament, God passes by Moses in such a way that Moses can't see God. Why? Because they're not prepared to see the glory of God yet. What would happen to them if they, without the proper mediator, were to behold the brilliance of the glory of the grace of God? Would Job have survived that encounter on the seas? Would Moses have survived that encounter on the mount? No. They were not prepared yet to see the brilliance of the glory of the grace of God. And so in the Old Testament, when God walks past his people, he just keeps going so that they cannot see or perceive him. But in Mark 6, notice again verse 48, it says, Jesus meant to pass by them. Just as, had, just as God had done with Job when he walked on the water in the Old Testament, just as God had done with Moses on Mount Sinai, out Mount Sinai, Jesus meant to pass by them. But then notice what happens in the Mark 6 story. When Jesus sees their need, look what Jesus does. Now verse 51, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Look at what Jesus does. Jesus gets into the boat with them. The very thing Moses longed for, to be in the presence of God, to be with God. The very thing that Job longed for when God trampled the waves of the sea in Job. The very thing they longed for, which was to be in the presence of God, to see the face of God, now is the time. Now the disciples get to see the face of God. The disciples now get to see God as Jesus walks off of the water right into their boat. And then notice that when Jesus steps on the boat with the disciples, the opposition of the sea is overcome. The opposition of the sea is overcome. When Jesus steps on the boat with you, there is no more darkness. There is no more hopelessness in the waves of the sea that swallow you up. When Jesus gets onto the boat with you, there is no more chaos and disorder that devours you. When Jesus steps on the boat with the disciples, the opposition of the sea is overcome, and there is no more reason for you to be afraid. And Alastair Roberts points out that the boat receives Jesus. And as it does, it begins to transcend the opposition between the land and the sea because Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God on earth. And when the kingdom of God comes to earth, it overcomes the difference between the land and the sea. It mediates. In other words, as the church is born upon the, upon the seething tumult of the unsettled sea, the ark of the church, founded by Christ himself, now becomes the seed of a new humanity, the embryo of a new world. With Christ, we can trust the care of a gracious providence, secure against all that the sea of this present age might throw at us. You'll remember back in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus taught from a boat resting on the sea. 
That gives us an image. That gives us an image of the church as a little ark tossed about on the sea of the nations. But there's nothing to fear in that sea because the Lord of the church walks on the sea as on dry ground. And as we close, I want to point out one final thing here in conclusion to you. I want you to notice the contrast between the disciples in verse 52 and the people of Gennesaret in verse 54. You see verse 52, the disciples did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Then you see verse 54, when they got out of the boat, the people immediately received him. And so as we close, I encourage you to receive Jesus like the people of Gennesaret. Because of our sins, we are due the unceasing and just waves of the ocean deep. But Christ invites us onto his boat, the boat from Mark chapter 4, verse 1, from which he teaches. Christ invites us onto his boat where he sets us free from the judgment waves. Without Christ, we are cast away from the Heavenly Father. He just walks past us. We can't behold the brilliance of His glory without Christ because of our sins. But with Christ and in Christ's immeasurable love, He gave Himself, He gave His life as the guilt offering for the sins of all those who believe in Him. And by faith in Christ, you are free from the judgment waves. And you will no longer be harassed and condemned but you will be welcomed onto Christ's boat, the only place, the only place where you can avoid the flood. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, we see that in the Old Testament you walk past Moses and you walk past Job because they in their sin were not prepared to see your glory. And so we also see, Father, that you have sent us Christ to shield us from the judgment waves. And in Christ, we see you face to face. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Christ we enter your presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.